Money's not evil. Money's not bad. Success is not anything to be ashamed of. It's to be celebrated, right? We should all want to become billionaires because if we're good people, we can do so much more good with more money. So, you know, that's the thing with me. There, there's never going to be a point where, oh, I'm done because I enjoy what I do. The more money I make, the more people I can help. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome back, Contrarian Cashflow. I've got Bruce Peterson with me today. Bruce, how are you doing? I'm doing great, dude. How are you? I am doing outstanding, man. I am so happy for you to be here. So Bruce is a real estate investor, educator, and author of Syndicating is a Bitch, and uh, of course, a loving family man. So Bruce, what do you got working on right now? Uh, you know, we're starting to pivot a little bit. We've always done multifamily, but right now we're working on a couple of projects in Nashville, actually, and we are going to be uh, developing a food hall, right? So that, that's, that's the next thing up for us is uh, 506C. So people listening go, oh, you can't talk about stuff that it's going to be a 506C. It's okay. I'm allowed to talk about this stuff. But yeah, we're going to develop something on almost four acres of land in, in Nashville and, and bring something to the, to the city that they've not seen before. So really, really excited about that. That's outstanding. And I guess pivot is the word of the, the, uh, the situation right now, right? With COVID and everything going on. So and Nashville is a tremendous uh, market. So I'm super excited to see how that, how that project plays out. So for any of my listeners that don't know, uh, Bruce is a multifamily syndicator. So he pools investor capital to bring them into deals that, he, that they normally would not have access to. And uh, first off, I would recommend any of them to ch- check out his book. It's, it's tremendous. Syndicating is a bitch. Definitely a little bit of colorful language in there, but it's a lot of fun. Gave me a lot of laughs and a lot of education. So Bruce, so I guess let's just jump into it. So I love your story, your journey. So you're a retail guy and now you're buying multi-million dollar apartments. So I guess, how did we get from A to B? Well, we got from A to B because I was a college dropout. And, you know, I didn't have much that I could do, you know, college dropout. So I fell into retail, did that for almost 20 years, hit a wall. I was fat. I was depressed. I was lonely. You know, all that really bad stuff. You know, I'm not ashamed to admit it. It was just not a good life for me. I was working 100 hour weeks the last year that I was there. And so I just walked away, Uh, you know, kind of putzed around in my yard for the first year after I quit working for other people. And then figured out, okay, this isn't going to work for very long because I called a buddy. And I said, look, dude, it's a great day outside. Let's go play golf when I used to play golf. He goes, uh, sure, but I got to go to work. I'm like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? I, I got another 50 to 60 years of life, and I, I got to figure something out. So I just started searching for somebody to teach me how to invest in real estate. And I found a couple of people that I would call my coaches. Um, I paid them some money to teach me how to do it. You know, their time is very valuable. But they helped me understand how to do it, the right way to do it, to skip over multi, I mean, single family, go straight into multifamily. So I syndicated my very first deal in, uh, in multifamily. I've never bought a single family rent home. And everything I've ever done, I've done with other investors. So I listened to my coach and the rest is history. We, we're, we're doing really well for ourselves. We're making a big impact in our area and things couldn't be better. 
I mean, and that's pretty contrarian for back in the day, right? Because you started this long before syndicating was, was the buzzword that it is. So what was it like in 2012 getting started in the industry when, you know, it was, the infrastructure wasn't there, the knowledge, the education wasn't quite there as it is today? Well, yeah, it was different. You know, I listened to a, a radio show one time uh, about a guy uh, that a guy was talking about real estate. I called in and talked to him for a little while and he convinced me, yeah, this is the right move for you. But, you know, I was coming into this thinking like most people, I would assume, you know, I'll buy a couple, maybe four houses, pay those off as quickly as I can and then live off the cash flow in my golden years. Well, you know, my two coaches talked to me and said, that is asinine. I'm like, what do you mean asinine? Don't ever pay off real estate, Bruce. I'm like, oh, okay. Dave Ramsey told me I had to. So I learned really quickly that Dave Ramsey is great if you're financially broken, but I was not financially broken. I was living like the financially broken. And that's not a way to live. You know, do that if you need to, to get yourself, get your base set. And then you can go operate like a millionaire or a billionaire. And that's what they taught me. So yeah, it, it was different back then. There wasn't syndication on every podcast, at every real estate meetup, at every real estate uh, expo around the country. It was kind of new. So I was going into this completely blind. I didn't have, I had like one other person that I knew that had done it successfully. So I knew it was possible, but I didn't know a lot about it. But again, I trusted my coaches and they kind of walked me through the whole process. And I was smart enough to know that I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So you got to listen to the people you're seeking advice from, especially if you pay them. You know, it's amazing how many people will pay a coach or a mentor and then they won't do the shit they tell them. Like, oh, what is wrong with you? So I knew to listen. I think that's the most important advice possible right there is listen to the advice and, and, and knowing how to ask the right questions as well, too. You know, I think a lot of people, it's funny, somebody was talking this morning about different insurance products or retirement products, and they said, you know, a lot of the people that are buying these don't really understand the actual implementation of the product and how it will benefit them and, and, and whatever the case is. So I just think it's so important to listen to those around you and that to have that level of education to get you to that next level. So, well, one thing you talk about in the book, which I would never have guessed, is you're not great in a networking setting. Uh, obviously, like in a group networking setting, you mentioned that you know, you're comfortable, which I'm not, comfortable speaking to an audience of 5,000, but in a, group of, in a room of 50, walking up to people. So how could you get over the fact you weren't super comfortable networking to the point that you're raising this capital from these folks that you actually built a networking event yourself? Well, yeah, so it's being self-aware. And I talk about that a little bit in the book that you got to be self-aware. Don't lie to yourself. Just own your, your shortcomings and then deal with them. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about it all the time that, you know, go all in on your strengths and punch your weaknesses, not walk away from them, but hire those weaknesses out, right? So in my world, I know that I can't work a room. I just can't do it. If I walk into a room and I know nobody and I have to go up and, you know, shake hands and kiss babies and, you know, make small talk, I literally, like internally, I freak out. I, I guess this is a word I heard about five years ago for the first time. I would call myself an extroverted introvert. So I'm great in front of 10,000 people, but working that one room with it, I literally leave. I just walk out of the room because I'm so uptight and I'm, I'm nervous. So I realized this is a shortcoming. I need to fix this if I'm going to raise money and do these deals. So luckily, my wife is a former flight attendant. 
So she's great at striking up conversations and having small talk. So at those networking types of events, uh, I just follow her around the room. You know, I'm not ashamed to admit that. I just follow her around the room like a freaking puppy dog and just let her make the first contact and then I can work myself into the conversation. She hates being on stage. I hate working in a room. So we know what each other's strengths are and we play to those strengths. So I still get anxious and uptight and nervous in a room of people that I don't know. You know, you'll find me in a room. I will be the guy in the corner at the table by himself because I'm just so freaked out by it. So I put that in the book because I want people to understand that, look, I suffer with that crap too. I'm fairly successful, but I have problems. I have issues. We all do. Don't let those issues and problems stop you from doing something that could change your life. And that's hyperbolic as hell, but it's the truth. If you can't get past that fear and overcome it in some way, either directly or indirectly, you know, it's Henry Ford. If you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got, right? You got, you got to take some chances. You got to step out. So. <clears throat> yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I love that. I love that quote. Take advantage of your weaknesses and take advantage of your positives and, and punt your weaknesses. That's a great quote that is just tremendous. So, so as far as the mindset piece, how did you get, so you haven't done this before and now you're raising hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars from these investors. So how did you get your mind wrapped around being able to take on such a, a difficult task with so much monetarily at risk? Well, at the beginning, you know, once I feel comfortable in a room, you know, I'm, I'm that guy that's it's kind of the center of attention, right? And it, again, I'll own up to that. We all have our things. Some people don't want to be the center of attention. Some people do. It's just, it's a personality thing. People that don't want to be the center of attention kind of find me as obscene. You know, it's like, ah, oh, you're, you're all about you. You're a narcissist. No, I'm not a narcissist. It's just who I am. I like to talk. I like to help. I like to educate. But so I've always had that. So once I'm comfortable in an environment, well, then I do open up a lot. But the whole thing of, you know, raising money coming from retail, uh, surround, being surrounded by people that made what I made, we, we made okay money, but none of us were rich. And then I came into this and I had to learn how to, you know, network with, with rich people. And, you know, I get, you know, 50 to $100,000 minimum investments from my investors. And, you know, we've raised as much as $12 million for one project. So, yeah, it's not easy. You know, even today with a very large database now of thousands of people, it's still not easy. You're still coming down to the end of a cash raise often and going, oh, I think we're going to pull it together. It's funny. Some of our cash raises, it'll fill up in two days. Legitimately, it, we will be fully subscribed in two days. There have been another time or two that, you know, you get down to the last day going, son of a bitch, if I don't get this last 200000 either I'm going to have to come out of pocket even more or possibly we're going to have to pull the plug on this deal. So it never really truly gets easy to me. Uh, it's always a challenge, but it's a challenge I'm comfortable with now because I've done it enough. And, uh, you know, it's the practice or, you know, confront your fears thing. It, it does get easier. And so one of the things you talk about in the book as well is, is some of the challenges that the person has to take on themselves about how much capital they're comfortable with risking, losing on the deal, walking away from a deal if it's the best thing for investors because they found something out through, during due diligence. But individually, there can be a lot of capital there at risk for the operator, for the person that's trying to buy the deal. So how do you feel people should go about getting educated or get their mind right if this is a path? Because again, syndication is, is kind of the buzzword and you know the sexy 
aura of what people all everybody wants to do in real estate right or the majority of people want to do in real estate right now so from a mindset perspective how do you think it's best for people to kind of get to the point in time where hey this could be something that is worthwhile for them to actually consider pursuing so yeah it's all mindset it's all being self-aware but you know when you're buying apartment complexes um, especially as a syndication you're actually structuring a, a real business. This is, you know, it has a complete set of financials. You got a lot of investors out there. So you, you've just got to be ready. First of all, if you're doing a syndication, you're going to need to front a lot of money and you'll get repaid that money once the deal closes, but you're the deal sponsor. And before you raise any money, well, all the money has to come out of your back pocket. So you've got to put down the money for the mortgage application. And if you go to a Fannie Mae or a Freddie Mac, that's going to be anywhere from $22,500 to $35,000 just to start the application for the mortgage. That's it, right? Then you got to come up with the earnest money and usually to buy a property, you have to put a 1% down. If you make a decision within an option period to pull out, you'll usually get all that money back. So it's, it's okay if you make a decision soon enough, but you have to front that. You have to pay for all your due diligence inspections. You're going to have a syndication attorney and that'll run you ten dollars to $15,000. You got to pay for that out of your own pocket. Again, you'll be reimbursed for all this. But that's where when people say no money, no credit, anybody can, uh, okay, yeah, you're right. If you have a rich uncle or you have somebody that trusts you implicitly and will front you that money and pray to God they get it back, most of us can't do that. Most of us don't have those types of connections or friends you're going to have to come out of pocket tens of thousands to maybe even over $100,000 to get this deal done. So being an entrepreneur, you have to understand and be able to tolerate risk. It needs to be mitigated risk or educated risk. You don't want to be wildly swinging at stuff. You need to be educated. You need to make sure that you're limiting your downside the best way possible. But as a business owner, there are things that are going to go uh, against plan, right? So I've had a couple of deals that I had to pull out of and I had already sunk all this money up front, the mortgage application. Well, it, it got spent by the bank, by the lender. The syndication attorney got $12,000. That was gone. He did his job. He created the documents for me. It's like, I didn't close. Can I get my money? No, I did my job for you right? So I was out thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 as a syndicator, right? So there is risk. And again, that's part of the idea behind the book. Syndicating is a bitch. It's harder than most people think. But if you've got what it takes to do it, great, do it. I think you should. It's very rewarding. Uh, it's very lucrative, but there is a lot of work and there is risk involved. Definitely. And that's what I found from the, from the book that was so refreshing was that take around kind of enlightening folks of some of the challenges and some of the risks there. Because that's a lot. I mean, for anybody, regardless of how capitalized you are, I mean, losing $30,000 in something, walking into something, you felt, hey, this looks great. You know, on the surface, it's perfect. But having to walk away from $30,000, $50,000, I mean, that's a lot, right, for anybody to stomach. And so I just think really enlightening folks on that because just in the groups that I run in and folks I talk to, I hear so many times, Oh, I want to get into syndication or I want to get into syndication. And you know, they're trying to look at, Oh, well, you know, I want hundred doors in the Southeast, right? That's the, that's the common message, right? Hey, I want a hundred doors in the Southeast, hundred plus doors in the Southeast. And Oh, I just can't find deals or I just can't do this or, you know, and I, I just, I'm, I'm scared if, if some of these people actually end up do become the dog that's chasing the car that catches it. Right. What, what am I going to do with it when I'm finally there? So well, so I'm curious, like, 
what, what made you choose to write the book in the first, you know, in the first place? So you're successful in, in running these deals. You're starting to make a ton of money, starting to, you know, do very well for yourself and your family. What made you, what was the inspiration behind writing the book? Well, it was because, you know, I would go to real estate events like most people. I would listen to people talk on stage and everybody would get caught up in the emotion of that event because the guys on stage. Now, first of all, let's say that most of these national educational platforms, educational groups, they're great people. They're run by great people. They have a very good product. But what a lot of people fail to remember when they're in that room listening to the people on stage, they have an objective. They're trying to pull money out of your pocket, right? They might have a good product. They might be a good person, but they're trying to get $20,000, $30,000, whatever out of your pocket. So if they tell you the unvarnished, scary truth, it's very unlikely you're going to give them your twenty dollars to $30,000, even if it's five, whatever it is. So they might legally cover, you know, there is risk involved and past performance is no guaranteed of future results. They might do that to stay on the right side of the law, but they're not going to harp on that. They got to get away from that as quickly as possible and give you all the rainbows and lollipops, have all their students come across the stage and tell you how successful they've been. You know, I joined today and yesterday I was a billionaire. Oh, well, okay, that's not going to happen. But, you know, so people come out of it and they start doing it after they gave somebody a check. So they start, you know, implementing the process and plan. And a couple of months in, they're like, oh, my God, this is a hell of a lot harder than they made it sound. <laughs> this is a lot riskier. I don't like this. This is, this is not for me. Well, you know, you've already thrown your $20,000 in a hole, basically. So then you feel pot committed sometimes. And then you go out and do a deal you should never have done because you feel, I spent twenty grand. I got to do something with it. You also got to learn how to cut your losses. If that's you and you know this is not a good fit for you and you don't think it'll end well, well, then just chalk up the 20000 as a loss and move on. You know, it's the whole good money after bad. If you've already sunk $20,000 into a really bad decision, continuing down that path is not going to make this bad decision any better, right? So, again, be self-aware. But that's why I had to write the book, that it was my job I felt to pull the curtain back and show you all the stuff you're going to deal with. And, and I can't show you everything because everybody deals with different things, but I, I find dead people on my properties. You know, there's hurricanes and tornadoes and fires and I've had arson, I've had carjackings and home invasions on my properties. You know, things go wrong. Um, again, two properties that I tried to close, I had to pull the plug on for title reasons and I lost twenty dollars to $40,000. There's a lot that can go wrong in this so I want people to just understand what they're about to get into. If you read the book, and I keep telling you throughout the entire book, if you're still here, okay, let's keep going. If, you, if I haven't scared you, I'm trying to scare you off. I'll be very honest. I'm not looking for you as a client or an investor. I'm not trying to sell and make money from books. I'm trying to make you understand what you're about to embark upon. And if I can show you how hard it is and you go, oh, uh, you know, I don't want to do that. Well, then the book is, is a success because I've saved you from wasting $20,000 potentially. So that's why I felt I had to write it. So I'm just trying to be honest with people and take them. That's why I enjoyed it so much, right? I prefer the unvarnished truth. I don't, I don't like to see the rainbows and unicorns because the reality is much different than that, right? If it was that easy to go out and make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, it wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be possible because nobody, everyone would already be doing it. So then we'd say, well, how do we make tens of millions of dollars or whatever the case is? So I really appreciate that. And I, I like the way that it's written because you do say, hey, there's tremendous upside in this. It's not just, you're not saying that syndication is a bad thing. You're just saying, hey, you have to understand there's two sides to the coin. It's not just all 
rainbows and unicorns, making tons of money. There's a downside potential as well. And um, so that's why I really enjoyed it and, and got a lot out of it. So I, I think there's a huge deficit from an education perspective, both actively and passively. So that's another thing I wanted to ask you about. You wrote the book, but now you're developing a course also because being an active investor is one thing, but also being a passive, there's a lot you need to educate yourself on to make sure you don't get your money instead of paying for an educational course, but putting your 50000 or 100000 into a deal with the wrong operator that may potentially you know, run that deal into the ground. Right. So yeah, we are. And a lot of people say, well, those who can't do teach. Oh, if you were so successful at what you do, well, then you would just keep doing what you're... Look, you get to a point where your bases are covered enough to where you could take any vacation you want, anytime you want, for as long as you want, wherever you want, right? How much do I need, right? But now it's time to give back. Now, I'm going to charge for it, obviously, right? It took me a lot of time to put it together, first of all, the education. But secondly, it took me years and years and years of learning. So, you know, there, there's, there is a monetary value to it. But, you know, it's called streetversity. And uh, we've got up right now, we're just getting it rolling. So it's not fully built out yet, but I do have a passive investing course up there right now. Uh, I'm the one that set the price, but it's been a while. So I think I remember, I think it's $4.97 uh, for the course, but I teach you how to vet a sponsor, how to find sponsors, first of all, then how to vet them, uh, what a lot of the terminology means. Do you understand what subordinate means? Do you know what equity multiple is? What about um, return on versus return of? What is a preferred return all about? You know, then I go into um, the offering documents that you're going to see when you get into a deal. You're going to see a PPM. You're going to see an operating agreement or company agreement. And you're also going to see a subscription agreement. I tell you what those are about, some key things to look for. So I'm just trying to help people get their money invested safely. They still have to do all the work. They have to go out there and do this vetting, you know, um, but yeah, that's out there. Uh, I'm working on, I've almost got my full syndication course built out. Um, so yeah, streetversity.com. There's some good resources there, more to come, but it, it's just the next chapter. We're going to still keep doing deals. Like I said, we're going to develop a food hall in Nashville. I'm excited as hell about that, but I can also give back by teaching others how to do it at a reasonable price. So that's why we're doing it. Yeah, no, that's outstanding. And I, again, back to the educational piece, I think regardless if you're looking to go active or passive, I do think there's a lack of educated folks out there that are jumping into deals. And I think as we're getting towards the top end of the cycle, I'm concerned that some of these deals that you know were bought in 2017, 2018 that people are using as their track record, uh, you know, but they're buying in 2020, you know, there's a different there's a different risk that may happen now, right? It may happen, it may not, right? And I think but that's just some of the concerns. I think a lot of the assumptions people are making today in some of the deals that I'm seeing, in my opinion, are fairly aggressive. And I think a lot of LPs don't have the aptitude to look at, like you said, I mean, you're talking about some very technical jargon, you know, in regards to these these offerings. And I think a lot of people are minimizing it's to them. It's almost like, Oh, well, you know, I'll just go buy an ETF in my portfolio, you know, my brokerage portfolio, or Hey, you know, it's just wiring 50 grand. And I think people are minimizing that um, from an educational perspective that they just don't fully understand the ramifications and the risk that's out there. So I, I really appreciate you putting something like that together because I, like I said, I think there's a real um, lack of educational resource, quality educational resources out there. Um, so, well, so a big part of this show, and you've already touched upon it a bunch around mindset, but one thing from the book and that you talk about is this middle-class mindset, right? And so, I mean, you, you know, you were in retail, you were working hard, you were working a lot of hours, but you were making a quality living, you were living comfortably, you know, I mean, you weren't in a cardboard box or anything like that. 
And I think that's something a lot of people struggle with is, hey, I've got it. My life's good enough, right? I've got it good. I'm not in a bad spot. Things could be better, but there's risk trying to go on that, you know, out there to try to gain that better. And so I think that's something that's so important. So how did you internally find a way to kind of break that mold of just saying, okay, well, I'm going to live good enough and I'm going to live a quality life and then really take it to that next level where you're, I mean, you know, you're where you're at right now. So part of it is just never being satisfied. I'm very happy with my life. I've got a very, very good life, but I'm never satisfied. I don't want to ever rest on my laurels and stagnate, right? Because it will, I will stagnate. I will atrophy. I need to keep getting better. I need to learn more, become a better human being, become a better husband, a better father, a better businessman. So I'm always trying to get better at everything I do. But I'll go to something that Grant Cardone has said. Um, I, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of him as a human being, I, but he's got a lot of wisdom and you can learn a lot from everybody. Even if somebody that you don't really resonate with, they probably still have some stuff you can learn from. So he talks about it in 10X, his book, that you owe it to yourself, your family, and your community to be as successful a human being as you possibly can. I had one guy tell me, you're telling me how you, you can you know, teach me how to make a million dollars a year. That's obscene. That, that's grotesque. That's excessive. That's too much. I'm like, why is that too much? Who, somebody told you it was too much, so now you believe it's too much. How much? Let's say you make $100,000 a year. You make a good salary. Let's say you make $200,000 a year. That's pretty good. You help out where you can with others in your community. Maybe you give to the homeless guy in the corner a, you know, a sandwich, or maybe you tithe 10% to your church, whatever it is. But if I could teach you how to make a million or $2 million a year, how many more people can you help? Money is not evil. Money is not bad. Success is not anything to be ashamed of. It's to be celebrated, right? We should all want to become billionaires because if we're good people, we can do so much more good with more money. So, you know, that's the thing with me. There, there's never going to be a point where, oh, I'm done because I enjoy what I do. The more money I make, the more people I can help, the more charitable I can be, and the more options I have. Let's just be honest. You know, this is going to sound crass and it's probably going to rub some people the wrong way, but it's just the way it is. You know, when COVID hit, right, you look around and you feel really, really bad for the people in the service industries. You know, the restaurants and the bars and maybe the maids or the, the landscape people. What are they going to do? The more money you have, the more options you have. I can ride out this weird crap fairly, not unscathed. We're all being hit by it in some way, shape, or form. But I have more options now, right? So one option that I want in my future, and again, this rubs people the wrong way, but I want a jet. I want a Gulfstream 650. It's a you know, 40 to $60 million plane. That's grotesque. It's options, right? So I still need to move around the country because of what I do for a living. And if COVID hits, let's say in May, and I have to get on a plane because I have no way around it. If I'm on a commercial flight, there's somebody behind me sneezing on the back of my neck. There's a kid kicking the back of my seat. I get stuck on the tarmac because something happened. If I have my own plane, it's safer. It's more convenient, it's quicker, it's more efficient. Money gives me options. That's all money should be seen as. It's a tool and it just gives you better options. If you're a piece of shit human being, okay, it's gonna magnify that you're a piece of shit human being. If you're a good person, it just, it helps your good nature flourish and help more and more and more people. So I think we should all make all the money we can possibly make and not be ashamed of it. 
that was tremendous. And that's one thing that you allude to in the book. And I wanted to call out a quote because I, I think that's one thing that people get stuck on is wanting to become wealthy and, you know, making lots of money is, is somewhat evil, right? And I think your point is so valid in that the person themselves is either is either inherently good or inherently bad or you know they their actions are what define them not their their money right and it's magnified one way or the other you know if you're if you're rich then you, and you're a greedy person but there's plenty of poor people that are greedy and you know that aren't aren't good people right you've got on both sides of the spectrum and so i think detaching that negativity between oh well you're rich well you're greedy and you're you know you're not serving others so the quote that i wanted to talk that mentioned was wealth is how we get stuff done, how we create jobs for other people, create purpose in our lives and affect other people for good. And that just resonated with me so much in that nothing about that was material. You just mentioned a plane, you know, but hey, that plane is probably going to be, you know, other than the charitable donations that you're doing or the other things in your life. So I just think that's such a tremendous point. I think some of the fear that people have about becoming wealthy sometimes is what their peer group may look at them and say, oh my gosh, now they're rich. Like, you know, they don't care about anybody else. They're leaving everybody behind. But what you're saying to me is so powerful. To change your group, you know, honestly, get rid of those people. If they're going to hate on you for being successful, there's a reason either they are too lazy or scared to try to do it themselves it makes them look at themselves and go, what am I doing with my life, right? You've got to surround, right? You're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, listen to, or read. Upgrade your peer group without any question. So, you know, something you mentioned, what my wife and I have this, you know, kind of come to the conclusion of, we had this epiphany. First of all, we're trying to go more toward educating. We're still going to do our own deals. We're still going to syndicate deals, but now we're trying to work on education, right? Because that's our way of giving back. We enjoy it. But also, not only helping people that way, but our secondary or maybe primary B uh, job, we are job creators. That's what we do. We provide for other people with our businesses. And then, you know, talking about, you know, still the, the materialism and the money. Look, if I am willing to take lots of calculated risks in my life, take chances, get out there, make an impact in the world you know, make, give people a better place to live, a better job to work at. Don't judge me based on what I decide to do with my money, unless it's illegal. You know, if I'm funding, you know, dog homicide, right? What, you know, okay. Judge me for that. Right. But because I want a plane and you don't, well, that doesn't make me a bad person. Just like I won't judge you for how you choose to spend your money, you know? So no, let, let's not judge each other. Let's be as successful as we can with each other. The more people I could teach how to have the type of lifestyle I have, selfishly, the more cool people I get to play with. If you got to go to work tomorrow, my buddy, I wanted to go play golf. Dude, I got to go to work. Selfishly, if I could teach him to do what I'm doing, well, now he can go play golf with me, right? So there's a selfish aspect to it. I'll be honest that I want more cool people to be able to travel with us and to play with us, and to have a good time, and to give back with us. It's a great thing. So one thing that means the world to me is family. And that's one thing that I know that, that is near and dear to yourself as well. So for me, part of it is how can we do this together as a group? And my wife is extremely supportive, and, and we're just supportive of one another, and we want to bring our daughters along in that as well. But Don't you, don't you make me cry. 
<laughs> hey man, like I said, I'm right there with you. We're just two emotional dudes chopping it up, talking about family. Um, but, but yeah, talk to us about how you've been able to involve your family, your wife, your daughters in the business to kind of make this a holistic thing, not just, hey, Bruce is making a ton of money and he never sees his wife from family. Yeah, so my wife is a board member of the local apartment association here in Austin. She's a board member of the Texas Apartment Association and an alternate at the national level. So that, get, that, that has us very plugged into the industry. But here at the local level in Austin, and I think every city does this, the Apartment Association does a food drive every single year. Well, at the beginning, it was probably, you know, more against their will than them willingly doing it. But we drug our two daughters with us. You know, we have a 24-year-old autistic daughter and we have a 21-year-old daughter. Uh, that's, I guess you call her average and so we took them both with us uh, to the food drive. You know, we're, we're boxing up food for people that we can distribute at different apartment complexes throughout the city. Well, now they love it. They look forward to it. Um, we did a school supply drive at one of our properties a few years back. And what would happen is for every resident that had a child, uh, they had to submit the list. Well, not not submit a list. They just told us what school their child went to, what grade they were in. We reached out, figured out what that school supplies list was. So we had everybody's school supplies for them. We had a new backpack for all the kids. Now this is a very working class neighborhood. They can't afford the $20, $30 it takes to get all this stuff. So we set up in a vacant apartment in, on the property and they walk in the door. Immediately to the right is the kitchen. My daughter is standing there giving out free pizza to everybody that comes in. Then they walk over to a table where my wife and the property manager are standing and they're giving the backpack out to the little kids. And then they leave there and go into the bedroom in this one bedroom apartment where my autistic daughter is standing. And she's asking them, what grade are you in? And what, what school and what grade? So she picks through, finds the right bag of school supplies, gives it to them. Now the kids put it in their backpack. They've got a full belly and they walk out with a big smile on their face. So it's really cool. It's a neat thing that we do in, sorry about that. But it's important because we've got our family involved. We've had investors come out and support us and help us with that. Not just give us some money, but actually come out and participate with us as well. So again, it's not about the greedy mogul that just sits on piles of cash. We're always looking for ways to give back. We get our investors involved. We get our daughters involved, our family involved. It, it's just a great thing to make a difference in a person's life. So now these kids get to go to school properly equipped and prepared. And if we weren't doing that, many of them would walk in without any of their school supplies and not only not be prepared and be behind, but a lot of them, once they get old enough, it's an embarrassment. You know, they're embarrassed that they don't have the money for it. So, you know, that, that's how we try to get the, the, the kids involved and give back. Oh, I mean, that, that's outstanding, man. I mean, like I said, you know, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I just think kind of back to the obligation and the Grant Cardone line of, you know, you really deserve it. The, the, the world deserves it. You owe it to yourself. So you have this obligation to be as successful as you possibly can, because what can you do with that? Right. I mean, cause if you had your retail job hundred hours a week, it'd be very difficult for you to be able to do those type of opportunities and give back like that. And I think that's what back to this, you know, negativity around wealth or, or greediness that people miss out on sometimes is is what more can you do? How much better can you make the world around you because of what you have with this money and these means and time, right? And, and the time is a huge aspect of that. So I just think that's outstanding. And then so, so, the, so you own, so you've obviously owned assets, but then you own a property management company, you own an asset management company. And I think those businesses themselves are family run organizations as well, right? Right. So we have two uh, property management companies, construction, asset management, we have all that. So yeah, 
my wife and I are the CEO and the CFO of all the companies. Uh, we have corporate staff, you know, the property management companies have property staff, on-site staff. So, you know, we employ a lot of people. Um, you know, we, we had our, one of our daughters working with us for a while, but you know, I'm just going to be honest. I pulled her in my office one day. I said, you're fired. Like, <laughs> oh, you're joking. I'm like, no, no, you're fired. She goes, well, how, how, I'm your daughter. I'm like, exactly. You're fired because she was my daughter and she took things for granted thinking, Oh, it's just my family. Nope. You know, she would, she would work like this all day, you know, working on the computer. I'd walk in like, what are you doing? Something that should have been done in an hour. took her three hours. She finally got it all done and she's smart as hell, but it didn't challenge her. It wasn't mentally stimulating. And I saw that, right. She still participates in the community outreach that we do, but she couldn't work for us anymore. So we had to let her go. So yeah, we try to get the family involved any way we possibly can in a way that they want to be involved, participate, and truly do the work. No, I appreciate that. And and the one of the things that you talked about there is, you know, letting them in the business, but I think people almost get too caught up on it too, right? Because I mean, just because what Bruce enjoys doing doesn't necessarily mean what his daughters or his wife is going to enjoy doing, right? And so I think that's something that's so important for people that are looking to scale, looking to build these businesses, looking to bring their family, their children into it. Make sure that line of communication is open, right? And they want to be a part of it. They want to enjoy it because I think that's when in talking to more and more people, what people be, when children become resentful of trying to take over this legacy or this, this transition, maybe they never wanted it. And so I just think it's so important to have that open line of communication when that, when that transition happens if your kids don't want it, it's not a slight on you. It's just not what they're passionate about and pursuing. But I love the fact that you were willing to, to let your daughter go because, uh, because that's just, that's, I mean, that's awesome because it's just proving, you know, showing to her, Hey, you know, if you can't pull your own weight, you're not just dragging her along and, you know, letting her kind of slide by you're saying, Hey, this is life. This is reality. You know, you've not, you've got to go out and, and make it on your own. Right. And you know, I've told her for years now that look, I don't care what you do in this world, be able to take care of yourself don't harm other people. Be a good person with a good heart, a giving heart. Bianca, honestly, if you want to work at Taco Bell because that's your calling and that, I'm okay with it. I don't care. You don't have to follow us into the family business. You don't have to be a business owner. You, Whatever you want to do. Now, I'm going to show you a better way, I feel. But if you want to go into retail, I did. well, hey, that's perfectly fine. But she's going to fashion school now, and uh, she's actually started a spray tanning business on her own without our help. Um, she's got that off the ground. She's been doing some events, and she's doing well with it. So super, super excited for her. But again, like you're saying, I want her to do what lights her up, what gives her energy. And again, if that means rolling burritos at Taco Bell, you know, it's okay. Well, and I mean, it's just interesting to see the, tr the progression, right? You know, so you had to let her go, but now she's starting her own business and I'm sure she's learned so much in the process and kind of back to what we were talking about before, but probably looked internally and said, yeah, this wasn't what was meant for me. And now, you know, I'm excited to see what the progression and transition for her looks like. So um, also one thing kind of in that, um, you know, CEO, CFO, husband, wife, uh, you know, how do, how do those decisions work? How do you guys work through some of the challenging decisions within the business? Uh, it's not always easy. Uh, <laughs> it can get a little frictional. Uh, for, and we develop some friction from time to time. But yeah, it, it's always a work in progress. We've worked very hard over the last five to seven years of trying to figure out what each of our lanes are, what's our strength, and keeping each other in our lanes. You know, she has her role and I try to stay out of it. I have my role. She tries to stay out of it. Now, we do overlap some because we, we bounce ideas off of each other and get support from each other. 
but yeah, that's the thing. You, you got to decide what in the businesses I'm going to do, what in the businesses my spouse is going to do. You know, treat it like a real business. You know, spell out those roles, what role each of us will hold, and then stay in that lane. And, and don't, you know, micromanage each other. So we still don't have it perfected, but we've gotten a lot better over the years. That's, that's probably just great marriage advice in general, right? You know, hey, set the expectations, stay in your lane and trust one another, right? I mean, you know, hey, if somebody's getting too far out, maybe make, make a little mention about, hey, honey, you know, this, that or the other. But, you know, I think that's tremendous advice within the business, but, uh, you know, also with having just a successful marriage in general, right? Defining expectations is extremely important. And I think not enough people do that in, in just most relationships in general. Yeah, it works for us. Well, well, man, this has been an outstanding conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. So we'll wrap up here with the contrarian three-pack. So um, I know just in general, the conversation has been pretty contrarian versus the mainstream around syndicating and real estate and all that. But what would you say from your perspective is your most contrarian investment that you've made personally? You know, I got sidetracked for a while. I bought my first property in 2012. I didn't buy my second one until 2015. In between... I went off and started chasing shiny objects, right? I was chasing dollars, which I talked to people about, don't do. You know, we all have these impulses that sometimes you need to fight, and I should have fought this one. We started an oil services company. We live in Central Texas. And in South Texas, there was the huge shale boom, right? So I thought, hey, so what we were doing was renting the equipment that these operators needed to get their sites up and running, the light towers, the generators, the water pumps, the RVs and all that stuff. Well, we did that until I think it was the Saudis in 2014 or 15 completely cratered the price of oil. We lost everything and, you know, we ate $400,000. So... Again, I don't know that that was contrarian, but that was definitely the biggest mistake I've made in business. And it was just from me getting bored and, you know, getting distracted by a shiny object, you know, the whole squirrel thing, right? So I started chasing a stupid squirrel and I learned, oh my God, I want no more part of that industry. We got out of it, you know, took our licks uh, and came back to multifamily. And we've stayed in real estate ever since. Now we do lots of things within real estate, education construction, asset management, property management, uh, syndication. We do all that stuff, but it's still all kind of based around real estate. And I just love your transparency and your openness of, you know, of the, of the struggles, the challenges and, and the victories. And I think that that's, you know, that's one thing that's not, it's hard not to get caught up in, but, and just to dig on that, we didn't talk about it specifically, but I mean, you've tinkered with a lot of entrepreneurial endeavors kind of over the years. And I know the book talks about that a lot, but I think that's one thing for listeners just to hear on is, you know, you didn't just buying the property and this massive growth curve that you've been on didn't just happen overnight, right? I mean, you had a lot of other areas that, you know, worked for a little bit and then didn't or just failed outright. And so, I mean, you've, you've really tinkered with the success formula for yourself. Right. I was trying other things all the time. I started a commercial cleaning business, a mail services business, a product assembly business. This is finally the first one that not only made rational sense uh, we made a big success of it, and we truly like it. The other things I was doing to, you know, to try to build a business, grow a business, make some money, but there was no real passion there, and it showed we were okay until we weren't okay. So, you know, I closed out all those businesses and moved on, but then I finally found this. It's something we both understand. My wife, what is a CPA, and she worked for a firm, and their specialization was taxation and audit for multifamily for apartment complexes. So 
this is just all we do, right? So we found our thing. We've gone all in. Now, I tasted a lot of things along the way to find a thing that finally did work for me. But, uh, but yeah, I'm glad to be where we are. Uh, and and it, it's the right place for us, definitely. And I think it's probably the safest thing we've done, too, from a risk standpoint by far. Well, that's a win-win, right? Safest risk tolerance, risk, risk adjusted, and then safest from, uh, from an upside potential. So, and you, you've got the inside track on all the, the tax strategies too. So uh, definitely, I'm sure that helps a little bit with the educational side of things. So we talked about your wife. We talked about your daughters. What's your favorite thing to do with family outside of the business? So we're foodies. So like my wife and I, primarily, we love to go out to dinner. It's kind of tough right now during COVID times, but other than that, we love to travel. We're not like big adrenaline junkies. We go do wild you know, stuff that may kill us someday. We don't go bungee jumping and all that, but we love to travel. Uh, my favorite place on earth, my wife's too, is Park City, Utah. Um, so we try to go there one month every single year because that's our place to decompress, get away, and just take a deep breath. And then we do a lot of business from there uh, while we're there for that month. We, but a lot of it, it's, it's our way to unplug from our businesses to a degree. We still got to keep an eye on them, obviously. But it's our annual kind of brainstorming. Okay, where are we? What have we done over the last year? What's the next year look like? What's the next five or 10 years look like? So it's kind of our strategy session as well. So it's definitely travel for us. And Park City is by far our favorite place. Outstanding, outstanding. And then lastly, um, so what, what does offer you the most fulfillment and purpose from life? It is giving back. We, but just to be frank, we don't do enough of it, right? And I'm embarrassed by it personally, you know, within myself. I'm embarrassed for myself. I don't give enough. Um, and we talk about that, that, you know, we're always looking for good organizations that can benefit from our dollars, but also our time. Dollars are important, but time is just as important or more so sometimes. So we're always looking for good causes, uh, things to give back to. Uh, we've, you know, for my niece's kids, we've joined the PTA for them and we help out. I read to their, uh, to my, uh, kindergarten, my first grade nephew's class the other day. That was amazingly fun. So that's what it is. What can we do to help others? How can we give back? Uh, we've sponsored families at Christmas. Um, so, you know, we do all that stuff. We can't, well, I say that we can't, we don't do enough. We're working on it, but that's what we like to do. Well, I, I'm just glad that it's top of mind, right? And it's something you guys are taking action on. And I couldn't agree more. I think it's great to donate financially, but actually being a part of it, and especially when you involve the family in it, it's just such a great perspective and puts things in better perspective for them to understand how fortunate they are, you know, in the, in, in, in the majority of the circumstances we have, because not, not everybody out there is, is in the same circumstance and, and is, has such good fortune. So, well, man, I, I've enjoyed this conversation thoroughly. Thank you so much for coming on. What's the best way? I mean, you've got the food hall coming up. You've got the courses. You've got the book. What's the best way for the audience to get in touch with you out there? So we've talked a lot about the book, right? So the best thing to do, if you're interested in the book, you know, I want to give you a free copy, right? So if you'll go to apartmentguy.com, which is apt-guy.com, put in your information and I'll send you a high quality PDF version of the book. Um, again, I'm not trying to make money on it. I'm just trying to kind of open some eyeballs, let you know how good and profitable and lucrative and rewarding and impactful this can be, but also teach you that, you know, it, it's pretty hard, but I'm going to walk you through every step of the process. And even if you're a passive investor looking to invest in somebody else's syndication, all knowledge is good knowledge. And I'm going to give you the damn thing for free. So I think you should read it, you know, just so you have an understanding of what your syndicator is going through, the job they have to do, and it just makes you a better passive investor. So again, apt-guy.com. 
get a free book. Other than that, LinkedIn and uh, Instagram. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I try to post there every single day. So it's APTDI. So that's the best way to, to get in touch. And there's a lot of resources on the website as well. There's ways to connect with me if you, if you want to do that as well. And as I mentioned multiple times in this conversation, I would recommend anyone in the audience checking out the book. It's entertaining. It, you know, at the very least, it's extremely entertaining. Some pretty funny stories in there and some pretty funny quotes. But more than anything, obviously, they'll get a ton of educational value about that. Like you said, either as an, then you'll know the good questions to ask as a passive or you'll have a better understanding of some of the challenges you may face as an active. So, well, Bruce, thank you so much, man. Keep doing the good work and uh, don't change. I know, you, uh, I know uh, you'll be who you are. So we appreciate that and appreciate the time. All right, thank you for having me on. All right, until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review Hit subscribe so you never miss an episode and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.